Do you remember that scene in William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet? Juliet has fallen in love with Romeo, but there's a problem. Do you remember what that problem is? She's a Montague, or he, she, he's a Montague and she is a Capulet. Now these two families are sworn enemies with a bitter history. And as she contemplates this, she considers the silliness that their love should be thwarted over an unwanted, inherited rivalry. You see, everything else is compatible between them except their last name. And in that famous scene, she says, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would were he not Romeo called. Do you notice what she's doing there? Here, Juliet compares Romeo to a rose. And the implication is, Romeo's last name doesn't change who he is. The same way that if you were to call a rose by another name, it, it, it wouldn't change the intrinsic qualities of a rose. And it's a powerful comparison that really lands the point. Or maybe you're not into Shakespeare. Do you remember that scene in, uh, in Forrest Gump? When he's sitting on the bench waiting for the bus and he tells the woman who comes and sits next to him, Mama always said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And if you've ever had an assorted box of chocolates, you know it's really hard to tell what's inside just by looking at it. Now you can cheat and look at the diagram at the top. But until you bite into it, you don't really know what's inside. And life is like that as well. Each season can bring about new ex uh, experiences. There can be these unexpected turns. And what's powerful about both of these examples is that they, they tap into the power of the analogy. It shows how two things are alike with the ultimate goal of making a point. See, it takes something that's easy to understand, an experience or uh, a concrete idea that we intuitively understand and it compares it to something maybe harder to understand or more abstract. So it uses something concrete to help us understand the abstract. A good analogy will make this comparison and then land the point with the explanation. And this morning in Romans 12 verses 4 to 5, Paul uses the power of analogy to help us understand the nature of the church. Here's the analogy. He compares the church to the human body. And what's brilliant about this analogy is that it's intuitive for every single person. Every single one of us in here gets the reality of a body. You don't have to look very far. You, you have one right now. Right? Everybody understands the human body. You don't need a PhD in systematic theology. You don't need to be a medical doctor. Every single person has a basic, intuitive understanding of their body. We know, we get it. A body has different parts. We know that the different parts of the bodies do different things, and yet they all work together for a common purpose. And through this analogy, in just two short, packed verses, we're going to learn three things that should transform our understanding of the church. First thing we're going to learn is that the diversity of the church is necessary for a multiplicity of functions. I'll say that again. The diversity of the church, it's necessary for a multiplicity of functions. 
Just like a body has many members with varying functions, Paul says so does the church. And it's that diversity within the body by God's design that enables the church to thrive. The second thing we'll see is that the unity of the church is grounded in our union with Christ. The unity of the church is grounded in our union with Christ. Just like a body that's harmoniously bound together in an inseparable union, the same is true of the church. The church exists as the body of Christ. And her members are bound together by this shared union with Jesus. And the third thing we're going to see is that the connectivity of the church is essential for meaningful relationship. The connectivity of the church is essential for meaningful relationship. Just like the members of a body can't exist on their own, the same is true of the church. We're connected and therefore dependent upon one another. And it's this interdependence within the body of Christ that leads to meaningful relationships. So the three things in this analogy that we're going to learn today is the diversity and the unity and the connectivity of the church. Let's start with the first point, that the diversity of the church is necessary for the multiplicity of function. Now before we get into verses 4 and 5, I want to help remind us of the context. You see, Paul isn't random. He's not just throwing out this analogy. It's, he's following a logical flow of thought. If you remember uh, in our first week, I, I quickly recapped Romans 1 through 11. And in those first 11 chapters, Paul is laying out how sin has left a wake of guilt and shame and fear. Humanity, because of sin, has an inclination to worship creation rather than the creator. It takes all kinds of different forms. But ultimately, we've all built our lives disconnected from the God of life. And that's problematic because if you want to build a life of meaning, if you want to build a life that is truly alive, you need to be connected to the God who provides life. The problem is we've all built our lives disconnected from him and therefore we're all guilty, we're shamed, we're outcast, we're orphaned, condemned, and dead because of our sin. And those aren't just powerful uh, analogies. Those are actually true of us because of our sin. But because God is loving and faithful, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, there can be a flipping of the script where we are forgiven, accepted, received, beloved, forgiven, and alive. Romans 1 through 11 is all about gospel doctrine. It tells us about how we can be saved from our sin. Then in chapter 12, there's this hinge. There's a turning where Paul begins to unpack the implications of gospel doctrine that lead to gospel culture. In other words, Paul is saying, if you take everything I've said in the first 11 chapters and you really understand this doctrine, it has implications on our lives. You can't just go, that's, I believe that, that's good and well, and then go about your life unchanged. No, Paul's saying, beginning in, in chapter 12, your life should change because of what is true. The ethics of living for Jesus rest on the foundation of the redemption accomplished by Jesus. 
Paul is urging us, calling us to a life of transformation, to nurture this gospel culture into every aspect of our lives. And so in the first week in verses 1 to 2, Paul said that the gospel should change how you view your relationship with God. When you consider all that God has done for you in Christ, Paul says the only reasonable response is to go all in. All of you given to all of God. And these two verses in Romans 12 serve as an introduction. It's like a header for the whole book, uh, the whole rest of, uh, of, of Romans 12 through 16. Everything that Paul is going to say fits under this heading. Because of all that God has done for you, you should give all of you to God. And then he's going to say, well, uh, uh, it impacts all these different relationships that you have. Then in verses 3 through 8, you have the first subheading. And we started there last week. And verses 3 through 8 talk about our relationship to other fellow believers in Jesus. If you think about it, this is really what Jesus was getting at when he was asked what the greatest commandment is. Do you remember that? In Matthew, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, in in its shortest form, when Jesus was asked what's the most important thing, Jesus said, love God and love others. Paul's doing the exact same thing. He says, if we think about what is really good and true and beautiful in the world, the first thing, Romans 12, 1 through 2, you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You should give all of your being and worship to him. And now in verses 3 through 8, he's, and, and, and in following, he's going to talk about how can we love others. And he begins with how can we love the church. And in verse 3 last week, he says, well, the first place to begin in loving others is to begin with humility because the greatest hindrance to your love of others is your own pride and selfishness. The reason we don't love others well is because we love ourselves too much. We're too focused on ourselves. If you think about yourself too often, if you think too highly of yourself, if you're too concerned with self-promotion, then you're handcuffed to love other people. That makes sense? That's why humility is so important. And then it's from there, Paul goes into his favorite analogy about the church. So keeping that in mind, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. This analogy is so intuitive, it hardly needs unpacking. But because I'm a preacher, I'm going to do it anyway. A body has many members. And each member has a different function. So on one hand, yes, the body is one corporate collective entity. But think about the variation of the different parts of your body that lead to different functions. I mean, even the smallest children know this. And in our earliest days of preschool, don't we have that song? Head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. We're we're getting at, we have one body, but different parts and those things do different things. And this is just the beginning. As we grow in understanding, we we, we realize that that the parts of the body contribute to our five senses, right? We have eyes for sight, ears for what? Hearing, nose for smelling, skin for touching, tongue for tasting. 
We have the parts of the body that contribute to mobility. You have hands and feet and arms and legs and muscles and bones and ligaments and tendons. You have the parts of the body that, that contribute to essential life functions. You have the brain, the heart, the lungs, the nervous system, liver, stomach, intestines. Each of these parts have uh, divisions and further subdivisions that divide into even smaller divisions all the way down to the cellular level, all doing different things, contributing to the one body. These parts work together to form complex systems that allow us to eat and sleep and work and play and do the everyday things of life. They're all working right now. If the cardiovascular system, the digestive system, the endocrine system, the excretory system, the immune system, the integumentary system. Did I say that right? Thank you. I got a thumbs up from a doctor. That never happens the musculoskeletal system, the respiratory system, reproductive system, the nervous system, and you could literally spend a lifetime exploring and studying each of these different systems to understand the thousands of different functions that contribute to the body. What's my point? The human body cannot exist, let alone thrive, without a diversity of members that contribute to a multiplicity of function. And the same is true of the church. That's what Paul is saying. The diversity of the church is necessary for a multiplicity of functions. I mentioned earlier that this is one of Paul's favorite analogies. You see it again in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul uh, is, is detailed in this analogy. 1 Corinthians was written before Romans 12 and it's almost like Paul saying, if you want more information about it, go look at my earlier explanation. Double click on it. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20, Paul says, for just as the body is one, has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were the ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be as it is? There are many parts, yet one body. Friends, God has designed the human body with an incredible diversity. And it's not coincidental. It's not accidental. It's not the result of random chance. It's intentional. It's designed. Likewise, the diversity within the body of Christ is by God's design. It's not coincidental. It's not accidental. It's intentional. God has designed the church, the body of Christ, to be diverse. So the church needs men and women. We need young and old, people from all different ethnic backgrounds. We need people with lots of money. And we need people with very little. 
We need people with PhDs and MDs and people without GEDs to their name. We need people who come from broken homes. We need people who come from stable homes. We need single people and we need married people. We need widows and widowers. We need people with disabilities. We need people with problems. And we need people who are good at finding solutions. We need people who are good with finances and people who spend money and people who save money. We need risk takers. We need the risk averse. We need singers and musicians. And we need those who cannot hold a tune. We need leaders and followers. We need readers and teachers. We need people who work with their hands. We need counselors and encouragers. We need people who need extra love. We need people who require more patience. We need people who are hard to love. We need the mature and the immature. We need every single number on the Enneagram. We need every single disc profile. We need every Myers-Briggs. We need every single person in their unique design because they have a place in this church. God has designed the body of Christ to thrive as a unified diversity, not a singular uniformity. F.F. Bruce commenting on this verse says, diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature, it is so in grace too, and nowhere more than in the Christian community. When we go out into nature, we see the diversity, the handiwork of God's creation. And what Bruce is tapping into here, he's saying, as amazing as it is, as spectacular as it is, as it should lead you to worship, it should be no more on more glorious display than in the body of Christ. You think that adversity in the human body is something to marvel at? Which it is. And it most certainly is. But it pales in comparison to the beauty of diversity that's supposed to be on display in the body of Christ. Homogeny, sameness, flatness is not God's design for the church. Any notion that the body of Christ should be flattened into some kind of unhelpful sameness where every member looks the same, acts the same, does the same, has the exact same function. It stands in utter contradiction to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. God has designed his church to be diverse so that it can thrive as each member contributes according to their role and function. So what does that look like? Number one, Discover how God has uniquely designed you and placed you from your personality, your giftedness, and your season of life. If you want to take this beautiful truth and put it into action, you need to spend some time thinking about how God has uniquely designed you and placed you. Given your personality, your giftedness, and your season of life. It's important to know how God has made you and wired you. This kind of self-awareness... Knowing about who you are enables you to say yes to the things that God has built for you. It enables you to say no to the things that God hasn't designed you for. 
This keeps ears from trying to see and, ear, and eyes from trying to hear. You heard that in 1 Corinthians 12. Eyes should not try to be ears and ears should not try to be eyes. They're different by design. So let me make this concrete. If you have no musical ability, serving on the worship team probably isn't for you. It's not that you're a bad person. It's just that that's not how God has made you and that's okay. Those with the gift of compassion and, and, and empathy God has enabled you and wired you for mercy ministry. It to do that kind of ministry requires people who are filled with the gift of empathy and compassion. Do you see how God's design leads to service in the body of Christ? We need to discover what that is. And number two, guided by humility. Can't forget verse three, being humble. We have to look for ways to serve and to play our role in the body of Christ. Friends, there are no accidental members of the body. Even the appendix is there for a reason. The fact that you can live without an organ doesn't mean it isn't important or should just be carelessly removed. We aren't talking about surviving. We're talking about thriving. That's the goal. Not just that the body of Christ would survive, but that we would thrive, just like our own bodies. We don't want to, to hover at the level of, of surviving. Nobody wants that, right? We want to thrive. And in order for the church to thrive, every member of the body of Christ needs to discover who they are, not merely for the purpose of self-awareness, but to put that self-awareness into action. It's not enough that you just know how God has made you, but you're supposed to put that into action. So we don't want to flatten God's diversity into a homogeny. We want to activate that diversity for the good of the church and the glory of God. So point number one, the diversity of the church is necessary for a multiplicity of functions. Point number two, the unity of the church is grounded in our union with Christ. Let's read verse four and five again. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we've got diversity, and now we add to that unity. Again, we intuitively know that the parts of the body cannot exist on their own. They are only viable as a collective and cohesive whole called the body. We are not merely a collection or an aggregate of independent parts that can exist on their own and maybe out of convenience attached together. The fingers aren't just randomly or coincidentally stuck on a hand, which is stuck on an arm, which is stuck on a shoulder and stuck on a torso. That's not how it works. There's a living connection between the parts. Let's dive into this analogy a bit further. If you think about the human body, how does it begin? It begins as a female egg is fertilized by a male sperm. And from that moment on, this human life begins to develop and to divide, right? And, the, and these continuous divisions start to uh, form the different parts of the body. Every finger and toe, every limb, every organ is developed from this same starting point. In other words... There is an organic and essential and fundamental unity that every member of the body shares in. Likewise, the members of the church are not meant to exist on their own, 
but they thrive when they are bound together in a collective and cohesive way called the body of Christ. And just like each member of the body shares in a fundamental unity, so does the church. And Paul tells us what that fundamental shared unity is. And now we've read uh, Romans 12, 4 to 5, three times in our gathering. And you may have missed it because we tend to skip over small prepositional phrases. But Paul says, we though many are one body in Christ. Paul's telling us that's what our fundamental shared unity is in Christ. Now that little phrase, in Christ, is so incredibly important in the New Testament. In fact, in just Paul's letters, it comes up in in all the letters in the New Testament, but just in Paul's letters, he uses it over 160 times in Christ. When we come to saving faith in Jesus, we we are brought together in Christ. In other words, in Christ becomes Paul's shorthand way of saying, when we come to faith in Jesus... Every single believer is joined to Jesus in a real and inseparable way. And this union is called this union with Christ. The men studied this uh, a couple of semesters ago. And this union is a real spiritual union. Every believer is in Christ, not figuratively, not metaphorically, but really in a dynamic communion with Jesus Christ. So that... What can be said of Christ, except his divine nature, can be said of us. What is true of Jesus is now true of you. Pastor John Piper says it like this. What this phrase, in Christ, means, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, Lord, and treasure, a union is established between Christ and you in such a way that everything in Christ that can be shared will be shared with you. Everything that he is, everything that he has that can be shared with you will be shared with you. There's only one thing that can't be shared. His deity and its unique God-defining attributes like omnipotence and omniscience and eternality. But everything else that Christ is and has is yours in him. So let me give you a few examples of where this shows up in the Bible. These are some of the benefits of our union with Christ. We receive grace in Christ, 1 Corinthians 1, 4. Our redemption is in Christ, Romans 3, 24. We are justified in Christ, Galatians 2, 17. We have forgiveness of sins in Christ, Ephesians 4, 32. There is no condemnation in Christ, Romans 8, 1. We are a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We have eternal life, you guessed it. In Christ, Romans 6, 23. God supplies all of our needs in Christ, Philippians 4, 19. We have every spiritual blessing of heaven in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. We will be presented to God perfect in Christ, Colossians 1, 28. We cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ, Romans 8, 32. Friends, that's just 11 of the 160 times this shows up In Paul's letters, in Christ, our union with Christ is essential. It's fundamental to all the benefits we have in the gospel. 
And now in Romans 12, Paul is saying that our unity as the body, it's not superficial. We aren't brought together because of a hobby. We are not brought together because of uh, the fact that we all live at the same time. It's not temporal. It's not even geographical that we all live in proximity to Waltham, Massachusetts. It's not political. Not because we share the same political ideology. Our unity is grounded in our union with Christ. That's what brings the body together. Every believer is joined to Jesus and that union binds us together in a way that nothing else ever could. Why is this bond so much stronger than any other bond? Because in Christ... As the body, we receive grace together. We're redeemed together. We're justified together. We're forgiven together. We're accepted and not condemned together. We're created anew together. We will live forever together. All of our needs are met together. We are spiritually blessed together. We will be perfected together. And friends, we are loved by God together. We share all of that in Christ. So what does that unity mean for the body of Christ? The first implication is, is that we shouldn't take that for granted. We are so prone to take the unity of the body for granted. But think about this. Christ died to make this union possible. Christ died for the body of Christ. He died so that we could be joined together into this unity. Therefore, we should never minimize it or overlook the beauty and glory of our common unity in Christ. Second, we should remember that Christ is the head of his church and we are the body. There's a reason we're called the body of Christ and why Jesus is called the head of the church. That means he makes the rules. He sets the agenda and he leads the way. We are followers of Christ. We are his body and we should do well to obey his commands and take serious his mission. The third implication of our union with Christ is that our union with Christ is meant to be tangibly expressed together in our unity with one another. Do you know that Jesus prayed for that unity on the night in which Jesus was betrayed? Before breaking the bread, he, he prayed with his disciples. And one of the things he prayed for, his disciples and all future disciples, is that they would be one. You remember this prayer in John 17? Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In Ephesians 4, Paul specifically calls the church to pursue unity. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then he goes on to say in Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, speaking truth and love, we, the body, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Church, I could think of no more tangible, practical application then we should be reading Ephesians 4 on a regular basis to be thinking about the unity of the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what we share together, our life in Christ, our inheritance to come, our communion with Jesus is a gift to be cherished and it's a gift to be expressed. Diversity and unity don't work against each other, but they work together to accomplish God's purpose. God designed the body of Christ to thrive as a unified diversity, not a singular uniformity. Those two things must go together. The diversity of the church, which is necessary for a multiplicity of functions. God has called the church to be and do many things. And therefore, we need every single member. At the same time, we are called to be uh, joined together in a union that goes deeper than mere superficiality, that, goes, that is joined together by the union we have with Christ. Now finally, our third point. The connectivity of the church is essential for meaningful relationship. Again, Paul says, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And here's the phrase, individually members of one another. Here's the third leg of the stool. See, in order for a three-legged stool to stand, you need all three. You need unity. You need diversity. And now you need connectivity. Did you see that in that last phrase? Individually members of one another. Just like members of a body cannot exist on their own, the same is true of the church. We are connected and dependent on one another. We are interdependent. We are integrated. We only work as a symbiotic whole. Unity and diversity connected together, working together for the good of the whole body. Paul goes to explain further in 1 Corinthians 12, picking up in verse 21. That I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body we think less honorable, we, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor, honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What is Paul saying? Every member needs one another. Every member needs every other member. We're connected and we need each other. No one gets to say to another member, you're not needed. No one gets to say that. If one member suffers, guess what? We all suffer. If one member is honored, guess what? We should all rejoice together. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor turned preacher. He said that he used to define to his patients, uh, this is what health was, that state and condition 
in which a man forgets that he has a body. You're really healthy when you forget about your health and when you forget you have a body because everything is working so well that you're not even aware of it. That makes sense. When, when you forget that you have a body, it's because everything is just working so well. The moment your attention is directed to a particular part, it's likely that something has gone wrong. Now, I've mentioned this illustration before, but it's worth repeating. Have you ever stubbed your pinky toe? I mean, really just slammed it? How often do you think about your pinky toe? Probably hardly ever. But in that moment, there is nothing you think about more. It is so incredibly painful. And you slam it, you come crashing down. It seems like the only thing that matters is that little toe. Or get more serious. If your heart fails, there's no going forward. Every member needs every other member. We need each other and we rise and we fall together. So how does this reality, this connectivity apply to the life of the church? First point of application, we need to consider what it means to meaningfully belong to the body of Christ. This is why our church has a high view of church membership. We want to publicly and deliberately say to one another, hey, I'm here. I'm here and I'm with you and I am all in. You see, the biblical picture of the local body is members in relationship to one another. In other words, membership. Did you know if you take that phrase, members in relationship, and you squeeze it together into one word. You know what word you get? Membership. Members in relationship. If you say it really fast, it just sounds like membership. Members in relationship. Membership. That's why we view membership so important because it's expressing members in relationship. Why? Because the Bible says that we are connected. We need one another. And this becomes a tangible way for us to live that out. Just like the body doesn't have parts coming and going. Can you imagine that? Parts just leaving. You wake up and the hand has decided to go do something else. That's not how it happens. Parts don't come and go. They don't consume without contributing. And the local church is no different. In fact, if something comes along and attaches to your body that does not truly belong to your body and starts consuming from your body, never contributing to your body, it's not called a member. We have a word for that thing. You know what it's called? A parasite. Like when you go hiking and you have to check your body for ticks, you know why? Because they're not a contributing member of your body. They are a parasite. They may be attached to your body, but they're certainly not contributing to their body. In fact, they're a detriment to the body because they're there to consume, not to contribute. The biblical picture of the local body is membership, meaningful membership. The parts belonging and participating, not merely attending or consuming. That's the first point of application. Second is this, this connectedness 
and interdependence within the body of Christ should lead to meaningful relationships. This verse teaches that we need each other. So look around the room right now. I mean, actually look around. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You all need each other. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, what's easier is to treat the weekly gathering like a seminar. You know, people who attend a seminar don't need each other. They just happen to all be there to hear the same thing. They're not in relationship to one another. They're there to be taught or to hear some information. But they're not giving their lives to one another. That's not what this is. And that would be the easier thing to do. To just come to the weekly seminar, to sing some songs together, to hear some preaching, to just put up walls and never connect. I promise you, that is the easier, safer thing. But that is not the picture in Romans 12, 4, and 5. That is not God's design for the body of Christ. We are called to pursue and intentionally engage in meaningful relationships. Do you think meaningful relationships happen just by showing up? I promise you they don't. If you go food shopping and you buy all the ingredients for a meal and you just set them out on the counter, will a meal ever make itself? You can't just show up to the counter. That's not how it works. A meal is made with intentionality and pursuit. The same is true of any meaningful relationship you have ever had. It didn't happen arbitrarily. It didn't happen just because you showed up. It happened because of intentionality and pursuit. It's in connected community where verses like uh, in Proverbs where we learn about iron sharpening iron happens. That's where we can put sin to death. Iron never sharpens iron just by being next to each other. It happens through intentionality. It's through connected community that we are able to engage in transformative mission. It's in connected community that we can actually care for one another. I can't care for you if I don't know your needs. You can't care for me if you don't know mine. It's through connect, connected community that we can be faithful to the end. That's how we get to the end as a faithful church. It's through connected, interwoven relationships. And those don't happen just by showing up. It can be easier, and it certainly is, to do that, but it's not better. The better way, the transformative way, is through intentional, connected relationships. Friends, this is the church that Jesus lived for. It's the church that Jesus died for. It's the church that Jesus was raised for. That we would live connected. Seven Mile, let's be a diverse church. Not because it's in vogue right now. Not because diversity is popular. It was God's design long before any of that stuff. 
Let's discover who God has made us to be so that we can do our part and contribute to the work of the body. Let's also be a unified church joined to Jesus for his mission to see it accomplished. And let's be a connected church dependent on one another so that every member thrives. Let's pray.